Let us gather in the drawing room and ponder on the evidence as I outline in devilish and complex detail the fiendish ruse of stating that the unicorn and the wasp is my favourite story from the David Tennant era. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. My goodness, was that introduction laboured. Um, hi, everyone, <laughs> and welcome back to the Cloister Bell podcast. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. And how's it going? It's going well. Well, it's raining. <laughs> I can hear it. Yeah, my blinds are closed. I can't see outside. So, um, but uh, it doesn't. Uh, hey, we're following the normal pattern of going. We're going to talk about the weather. Yes. Um, yeah, actually, it's uh, the weather's been fairly decent for for October. Um, we began October with going. What do you mean? It's autumn. It's like it's summer out there. It was insane. It is starting to settle in proper autumnal, uh, you know, the leaves are falling and all the rest of it, which is quite nice. But the the rains managed to hold off until now. It was looking quite nice today, all the all the leaves blown by outside the window. Mm. I thought it looked quite Halloweeny. Yeah, when I was when I was walking to work, because um, as I said in my previous uh, in the previous podcast, I've uh, I went to the cinema to see No Time to Die. I've seen I've subsequently went back to seen it so, uh, to see it, so I've seen it uh, twice so far. Um, I might be going to see, see it a third time. Anyway, uh, I've kind of become really obsessed with it. And uh, when I was walking into work, I was listening to the soundtrack, uh, which I love. And it's, you know, it's absolutely dramatic. And then when I was walk- walking to work, it was sort of like all the leaves were blowing around in this <laughs> very dramatic way. It, it, it just felt fantastic. Great. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're not uh, going to give a forecast, though, are we? No, no. We're, we're, not, we're, not that we're, obsessive. No, we're not going to go down that route of going. The Cloister Bell podcast weather forecast. I mean, given the fact that how, how uh, despite attempts of trying to get these out weekly, uh, if we were to stick a weather forecast on top of this, be like, <laughs> what what was the point of them recording this? It's already a month late. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> so, so just like, anyway, I suppose it would be saying, well, this was our weather forecast. Will we correct? And actually, doesn't yeah. uh, David Lynch have this thing where he, he uh, just talks about the weather? Does he? Yeah. <laughs> People seem to like it. Um, so, leaping into just talking about Doctor Who, uh, there's a couple of things that have recently popped up in the news. So, everyone's been waiting for bated breath for um, release dates. One, going, when's the next Blu-ray box set going to come out? Uh, finally, that's been revealed, and it's the one I was actually hoping it would be. Um I just had this this fear. It's just I want to watch season seventeen, and lo and behold, season seventeen is going to be the next uh, Blu-ray box set. It's due to come out in December. Whether it's whether it's postponed until the into the new year, we'll just have to wait and see. But it's uh, December, just in time for Christmas. Funnily enough, um, and I'm really could you f- remind us what the stories are in series, season seventeen? Yes, so it's. Uh, 
whether I get these in broadcast order is another matter. But we have um, Destiny of the Daleks. Yes. Um, we have City of Death. Which I know, I mean, everyone seems to love that story. But I know when we were picking, you know, the, our favorite classic stories, you picked that as your favorite from the Tom Baker era. That's in there. It's a cracking story. Uh, Creature from the Pit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Nightmare of Eden. Um, the Horns of Naimon, and Sharda. Brilliant. Um, it's. Is it showing the Shada animation in a, in a new six-part format or something like that? Yes. So uh, it's going to have it as um, it's going to have the 1992 video release, which was all the footage with Tom Baker providing uh, linking material in the middle of it. We have the animated version, which I haven't seen yet, which was released uh, three years ago now or something like that, and. Um, and then they've also apparently spruced up uh, and done some new animation, and they've done it, yeah, episodi- episodically. Um, yeah. And it's the definitive version, which is uh, which has made you know has amused some people. Who are going really? Is it really going to be the definitive version of Shard <laughs> after all this time? And until the, the next one comes out. <laughs> until the next one comes out. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, my goodness, have there been <laughs> many versions of it? But we've even been the uh, the webcast <laughs> with McGann. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not keen on that version. Um, no, I know. I, I know. I know a lot of people do like it. I just, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't keen on that. Yeah. But um, I, I do like how it tries to make. Uh, it tries to unify both versions because uh, uh, the Eighth Doctor goes to see Ramona, mm-hmm. and they they recall uh, Sharda, but uh, the incident with the time scoop caused it to not happen. <laughs> Yeah, so and then, yeah, then they just get on with the adventure. I yeah, like it's like having your idea. cake and e- eating it of saying, "Well, the original one, the one that was made in the seventies but not broadcast, is canon, but this yes. is also canon." <laughs> Interesting approach. Um, and then the day after, and then because they've they've done this, they did they did this great trailer advertising season seventeen, and I watched it. And then the following day, I was like, "Ah, oh, wouldn't mi- I wouldn't mind watching that again?" Because there's. Uh, there's uh, new documentaries and stuff like that. There's a documentary on Douglas Adams, which I'm really looking forward to watching. There's a new interview with Lala Ward on all that. And so I just wanted to see mm. those little clips of the documentaries they included again. And I couldn't mm. watch it. Because oh. for some reason, all of Doctor Who's social media was just taken down. What? Uh, it's just madness. I think we all knew it was just going, oh, for goodness sake. It's just a stupid publicity stunt. It got it worked though. People were talking yeah. about it, and uh, Doctor sure. Who was trending on Twitter and all the rest of it. I have to be honest. I never, apart from maybe going on to watch the trailers, like you said, mm. I never really go to official Doctor Who um, kind of outlets online. No, neither do I. My news or anything. Unless, funny enough, the only thing I really bother with is when. Uh, when a Blu-ray box set thing's been announced. Yeah. And go, oh, well, in that case, there'll be the trailer. Let's go on the Doctor Who YouTube channel and watch the trailer. Um, and it's like, oh. I do occasionally check the Doctor Who news page, which is a, like a spiritual successor to the old Gallifrey One uh, news page, but it's not as comprehensive as it used to be. Oh, right, okay. Uh, but uh, I find that like a reliable news source. <laughs> 
Um, well, anyway, so Doctor Who social media was, was was taken down and all the rest of it. Got everyone talking about it, so it did get people's attention. Although it was just sort of a case of, can't you just tell us what the when the, the new series is going to be starting, please? But of course it was leading up to that. And finally, we've got a date of when the new series will be with us, which is uh, Halloween. Yes. Yes, it's going to start on, on Halloween. And um, are you looking forward to it? Are you excited? Um, I am. I'm. I'm excited that it's only going to be six episodes. I don't mean that <laughs> to sound like I'm. I'm uh, not really looking forward to it. But mm. uh, yeah, it's going to be a shorter run. But then we're going to get three more specials shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to have this little burst, and it's it's a different format, you know. Um, maybe it's exciting. Maybe it'll be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should be good. <laughs> yeah. Are you excited? Yes and no, sort of. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be see. It's interesting what they're going to do with it because, as you say, it's going to be six episodes. It's under the title of Flux, uh, yeah. and so it's going to be a. It's going to be one story. Uh, not hope it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> better bloody be. Um, but the problem is it. it it ties into the whole thing of really this current run of Doctor Who hasn't been one that's massively excited me. Mm. So yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it, but not, not, not as excited as I have been in the past. You know, with um, no previous seasons. But we, you know, but obviously we, will, I'll still be watching it and wanting it to to, to succeed. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, just have to wait and see. Yeah, I hope um, Chimmel's era kind of comes full circle and there's no uh, loose ends or I don't want to be left with a feeling that it was a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we don't want that. It's it's funny though because I think um, I think the fact that we know effectively we got the 60th anniversary around the corner and Russell C. Davis is going to be coming back for that now that I'm excited for. Now that, that's the thing. That, now that I'm excited for, and I think actually that's what's getting uh, people's juices flowing more than the fact yeah. that there's a new series, effectively just on our doorstep. I think it's quite ill-timed um, for Chris Chibnall. It's it's a bit of a shame yeah. that all the attention is on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I think it would have been nice had they been able to hold off at least until next year I would have thought and mm. I know that there's still a thing of going well that's going to because we've still got one more season haven't we next year which is technically be... yeah it'll be almost like um, David Tennant's last run that was called the specials mm-hmm. the 2009 specials so Jodie Whittaker's you know due to uh, leave the series um, which I don't know what to feel about because I think she's been. I think she was good casting. I know we've said this before. I think you know she's good casting and has played the part well. I just, I, I'm just a bit disappointed that I don't feel her potential's been met. No, um, perhaps not. So the fact that she's going, it's sort of, it marks the, the series going in. You know, hopefully going in a new direction. We know. Rossi T. Davis is, is, is going to come back and we're all looking forward to that but at the same time it's, sort of a, it's just a bit of a shame because from I think I can safely say from both our perspectives um, it, yeah it, it would have been nice had she been given stronger material yeah um, 
yeah, I think there'll be a, a drastic shift in tone when uh, when Russell's back. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the fact that that tends to, uh, that's getting an awful lot of attention, I think, rather than the fact that there's a new series on the doorstep, mm. I think probably says an awful lot. But nonetheless, uh, not wishing to get too, too negative and down on it, it's about yeah. to start, looking forward to it, and hopefully it's going to be a good one. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so, not much else has been happening lately. Um, I noticed there's something wrong with our kind of social media. This, uh, this is weird fuzzy videos been popping up. Yeah, I've noticed that. Uh, what, what's the story with that, Rob? Well, I don't know. It's it's cropping up on um, on other podcasters' social media too. All right, okay. Curious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this space. It's not as if we've nicked the uh, the official Doctor Who's uh, social media <laughs> campaign of announcing something around the corner. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, if the listeners can check out the hashtag after Who. Mm. Yes. Uh, all exciting stuff. Um, something to look forward to. Uh, talking of social media, just in terms of our podcast social media, so you can c- contact us at Twitter, which uh, some of you have already done uh, recently and in the past. Uh, so Twitter at Podcast Bell. We're also on Instagram at Cloister underscore Bell. And we also have our own website, which is all one word, cloisterbellpodcast.com. Um, oh, and do make sure to subscribe to the podcast because uh, we will be doing coverage of Doctor Who Flux. Um, hopefully week by week uh, yes and as we sort of hinted at before there's a, there's a couple of things that we'll obviously have the podcast but there's uh, something else we're, uh, we're going to be doing headed by Rob uh, rather than myself really but um, we're going to be having put it this way there's going to be more coverage of the current series of Doctor Who than we have done in the past um, so something to look forward to if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us you can do that by getting in contact, rating us, um, sharing the podcast with your friends. That's you know a good way of getting the word out. But if you want to go that little bit extra, uh, you could also support uh, support us on Patreon. Uh, you can find us just by searching Cluster Bell Podcast on the Patreon website. Yeah. Um, right. So into the main. So today we're going to be looking at the Doctor Who story, the Unicorn and the Wasp. So a quick plot synopsis. With a 1926 dinner party turning into a murder mystery perpetrated by an alien who is a giant wasp, the Doctor and Donna Noble get the chance to meet Agatha Christie on the eve of her well-known 11 days disappearance. So the cast and crew, David Tennant is the Doctor, Catherine Tate plays Donna, Fenella Woolgar plays Agatha Christie, Felicity Kendall, wonderful Felicity Kendall, uh, comes in and plays Lady Edison. Tom Goodman-Hill is Reverend Golightly. Christopher Benjamin, who has appeared in the John Pertwee era, the, uh, the Tom Baker era, and is now returning, uh, plays Colonel Hugh. Felicity Jones as Rubina Redmond. Adam Raynor as Roger Kerbishley. David, David Quilter as Greaves. Daniel King plays Davenport. Ian Barrett plays Professor Peach. Lena Dingagra plays Mrs. Chandrakula, I've completely mispronounced that, sorry. Charlotte Eaton plays Mrs. Hart, and the story was written by Gareth Roberts, directed by Graham Harper. It was produced by Phil Collinson, the music was by Murray Gold, the costume design was by Louise Page, and the production design by Edward Thomas. 
Blame so, me. There's a lot, lot of suspects. <laughs> the butler did it. Um, so, uh, in our previous podcast, uh, which we looked at the fantastic The Girl in the Fireplace, uh, at the end of that podcast, when I announced that this was the story we were going to be looking at, because mm-hmm. The Unicorn and the Wasp is my favourite David Tennant episode, um, I'm... Uh, Am I right in remembering, Rob, that you said that you couldn't actually, you couldn't really remember this episode? I had such fun watching it. I didn't have a clue what was going on or what was coming. Oh, all right, okay. So, uh, did you watch it when it was originally broadcast? Yes, and I either did watch it when I'd got the DVD, mm-hmm. or I didn't. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I may have skipped it. But I mean, well, that's fantastic. So really, this was you. What this was like? Read this was discovering the fact that there was this hidden David Tennant episode. Uh, David Tennant yeah. story. Well, I had remembered. I knew. I knew it existed. Mm-hmm. And as the story progressed, I did. It did come back to me. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> but no, honestly, I, I didn't have a clue what was uh, what was coming, which was good. <laughs> yeah, you know that's great. It's. Uh, I th- I've, after all this time, just sort of like rediscovering a, a Doctor Who story all over again. Yeah. Um, Which I, I thought it was okay back then. Yeah. I, I mustn't have thought too fondly of it at the time. Yeah, I've always it's always stuck with me. I've always very fondly remembered it. And when I was thinking about what my favourite um, story from the David Tennant era was, I mean, there, there are a good few stories to put in there. Um, I mean, for for many years, I thought it would have been um, the Waters of Mars. Hmm. Which is a really strong episode. I love that. Midnight's another cracking one, um, and there are a few others. But for some reason, it's sort of the unicorn and the wasp always stuck with me. And I think a big part of that is just because um, I really like how fun it is, and uh, it's a story with with an awful lot of wit and just everyone involved in making it just having an awful lot of fun, and that's very infectious. Um, just, just, just as a quick aside before we get into the main, um, the story's location of the manor house, uh, mainly the exteriors. Did you recognise it by any chance? No. Um, it's Athelhampton House, which is in Dorset, and that was the the house that was used in the Seeds of Doom. Ah, okay. Is it recognisable in the episode? It is a little bit. I mean, when I uh, every time I've watched it, I went, "That's got to be the same place." And then, prior to this podcast, I was sort of googling it, and it is, it is the, it is the same place. So I did kind of recognise it. So that <laughs> so ties up to a previous Doctor Who story, and for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the Seeds of Doom is a story that we've covered in a previous podcast because that's not only my favourite Tom Baker Doctor Who story; it's my favourite Doctor Who story of all time. And also, so there's a big connection here. <laughs> there's a huge connection, but it goes even more, because the Unicorn and the Wasp is directed by Graham Harper, and he was the production manager of the Seeds of Doom, and he was responsible for get, getting Athelhampton uh, House uh, as a location for that story. So it all ties up. It's all planned, people. Anyway, yeah. um, I just thought I'd mention that just a fun little bit of trivia. Um, one of the things that uh, I think this episode does incredibly well, and I just love it because it, it doesn't uh, pussyfoot around. It just goes, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to have an awful lot of fun doing it. It's a fun romp that just relishes in the popular culture of what we think of the 1920s because it, it, it takes this 
real event, which was the disappearance of Agatha Christie in, um, uh, I think she disappeared for 10 or 11 days. And no, and in real life, no one knows uh, what actually happened. Um, there are speculations, um, because as is, as is put into the story, it is true that uh, Agatha Christie had found out that her husband had um, been committing an affair. Um, and there is speculation that actually this disappearance during those days and her forgetting it and then just turning up again was sort of a publicity type stunt on her part on um, trying to get her own back on her on her husband um, yeah. whether that's true or not we just don't know that's just speculation no one knows so Gareth Roberts who wrote this episode sort of gets that as the who can go and well let's put a mad science fiction spin on it um, as I understand it Agatha Christie disappeared in December so during winter but when we're in this story it uh, it's not very wintry is it it uh, it it all appears it didn't very, seem that way no it's all very summery but when we think of the 1920s and stories set in mansions and all the rest of it it is very um you know we summery drinks out on the lawn with a hint of mint and that's mm. all sort of hinted at and said in dialogue and in the location or anything in the first few moments of the episode and it's great so you get all that it's also what we think of in really you know the, the popular culture of agatha christie not necessarily the novels although that is in this episode because gareth roberts is a huge fan of agatha christie and it, my goodness does it show um but it's really sort of um it it's not really the novels, it's more the adaptations which we, we tend to think of in the, you know, the, the films and uh, the television series and so on. That's all here. Um, also Cluedo or Clue if American, the, the board game um, you know, with the fact, you know, it's the library with the lead pipe. We have Professor Fof, Professor Petrie, Professor Plum. We have a colonel like Colonel Mustard. We have a reverend instead of Reverend Green, etc. etc. Um, and just it's it's all great i mean did you think you know when you're watching it do you think this is just a story that you know hits the ground running and just um, um well yeah i guess so it doesn't waste any time no no it doesn't and i love all all the business of how they're how you know the, the tardis lands it's the doctor and donna discover you know and, and i love how not only how it's performed but how it's written and it all marries up you know, they come out the TARDIS, the Doctor's going on about how um, you think it's the 1920s because you can you can smell it in the air with a hint of mint. And then yeah. the Doctor's just going, wow, you can do that all from the smell. Or maybe it was that old car coming up the driveway that gave it away. <laughs> just going, you know, <laughs> which, you know, which one is it? But it's already, you know, it's just, oh, this, this episode's going to be an awful lot of fun. Yeah, I do love the dynam- dynamics between the two. You know, just um, they're on equal footing, and they kind of know they just kind of click. Yeah, from what I can, from what I understand, this was the first. I think it was the sixth episode broadcast in in this season, but I think it was the first one that was produced. Um, so this was the the first episode uh, recorded with um, Catherine Tate as a as a regular. She'd previously appeared in um, the Runaway Bride. I remember thinking at the time, I'm probably the only person who thought this, because at the time everyone thought that Catherine Tate was just being Catherine Tate and was actually quite 
irritating in The Runaway Bride. I loved her, and I actually wanted her to become a regular. So when it was finally announced that she was going to become a regular, I was just like, oh, fantastic, this is going to be great. Do you remember what your reaction was when you found out that... Because at that point, you know, she was a very well-established and well-known comedian with her own show and everything. It was tremendously popular. Do you remember what your reaction was when you found out that she was going to be uh, the new companion? I was really happy. Um, in contrast to how I felt when she was cast for The Runaway Bride, um, I wasn't very impressed then. <laughs> I, I've come to appreciate her now, but at the time I hadn't really seen much of her stuff. Hmm. I was aware of it and I wasn't sure if I liked it. So I thought maybe I don't like her. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was so wrong when The Runaway Bride came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, uh, yeah, it was great news that she was coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, she, she just has, as you said before, Rob, she has absolutely just great dynamic and just, just it's just great seeing David Tennant and Catherine Tate just, um, uh, relish the uh, the material that's given to them and just going with it and and there's no romance there so that kind of mm. rips that wall down and we can just get on with a good story yeah because uh, it was sort of it was a bit of a thing that haunted um, if I can put it like that the series at that <laughs> point because Rose had become a romantic interest for the Doctor He she then leaves in the yes. second series um, how do you how do you follow that up and so then you get Martha, who was a great companion, but I think was sort of bogged down a bit with the whole unrequited love story. Um, I thought that was still quite interesting, though. It was another um, another dynamic, mm-hmm. um, because um, the Doctor had these barriers up now because you couldn't really re- replace Rose in respect to, to how he felt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But at this point in the series, I think it felt like a, a real breath of fresh air. But even without, even without taking all that into consideration, I do think that um, the David Tennant and Donna Noble pairing is the best of the David mm. Tennant era. Um, I mean, I still like Rose and Martha and so on, but for me, I think you know this just takes it to the next level, and it just it's just great. Really nice friendship. I mean, it's tragic how it ends. Um, I remember thinking at the time it would have been great if if Catherine Tate stayed around for another season. But I think as as series four went on, I think it's just oh, it's not going to go down that route, is it? No. Um, and there's something quite dark about series four um, with the stories and that establishing of the fact of what's going to happen to um, to Donna. Um, but in that sense, the unicorn and the wasp is one of those stories which stands out in the series because it's it's one that you know provides the tonal balance for everything and is just tremendous fun. But I also think you know you can take it out and just enjoy it in of itself. Um, there's an awful lot of references to Agatha Christie's work throughout the dialogue, which is great. You know, we get why didn't they ask Evans? Murder on the Orient Express, cat amongst the pigeons. They do it with mirrors, sparkling cyanide, murder at the vicarage are just some examples and i think you know that's a sign of gareth roberts as a you know a, a big fan of agatha christie um and then just just playing around with it and having an awful lot of fun on you know just saying well how many titles of all her novels can i you know b- bung into the dialogue or m- and make references for yes. um and, and and going back to what i was saying before i mean the story really hits the ground running i mean 
we're not even ten minutes into the episode, and already uh, murder, murder. It's just, you know, it's just as, as uh, Professor Peach has been uh, murdered in the library with a lead pipe, and uh, and I love. There are loads of uh, little moments within the episode, but massive scenes as well, which I just absolutely adore. But the fact, you know, the, the way that, that the Doctor takes charge of the situation and then, you know, just going, uh, and uh, this is Miss Donna Noble, the plucky young assistant who helps me out. And just how Do- Catherine Tate as Donna reacts to that and goes, My, the plucky young assistant who helps me out. I'll pluck you in a minute. Just all that dialogue and how it's played is just an absolute delight. And it doesn't matter how many times I've seen this episode, and I've seen it quite a few times, um, it still puts a smile on my face. It still makes me chuckle. I just love all all that stuff. Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, I could... I, I'm just aware that I'm sort of like gushing about this episode. I'm talking too much. I mean, when you... Th- Thinking about this episode now, I mean, what are the things that stand out for you? What are the highlights? Um, like you say, these great moments of humour, um, not just between the Doctor and Donna, um, but kind of outwards towards the story. Um, I like, in the writing, the appreciation for um, Agatha Christie, and uh, he was clearly well-versed when he wrote it, um, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, the... The, the wasp itself, I remember feeling quite CGI at the time, or, I don't know, it didn't bother me so much now. Yeah, I, th- I know what you mean. I mean, it's clearly a CGI thing, but it has... Yes, you know it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, exactly, you know it's not real. It doesn't have that tangible quality to it, but I do think it's well designed and realised. It does have a sort of cartoony look to it. But I think that suits the tone and the feel of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't think it it detracts, but I know, I know what you mean. Um, but I don't think it, it it takes you out of it. In fact, going into going into that because I think yes, the episode is, has a lot of fun, but there's a risk throughout it. Um, and I think the story actually balances the the three main characters, they being the Doctor, Donna. And Agatha Christie, um, they all have their part to play in uh, in their investigations and how everything unfolds. And that, uh, in that respect, I don't think anyone, you know, none of them are shortchanged. Um, so to make sense of this, the, the the title of the story is called "The Unicorn and the Wasp." Where does that come from? Well, it's established that there is a thief uh, that's been uh, going around breaking into mansions and stealing. Um, precious jewellery and so on and for some reason has earned the nickname the unicorn I mean if I was quibbling it's never really explained why that thief has been given the title of the unicorn I think it would have been nice if if that was sort of explained but it doesn't really matter so that's where the unicorn comes into it and um, and the wasp is the murdering alien of the story there's a there's a giant wasp and as I said you know there's a I mean it's a bonkers bloody idea so obviously this is going to be a story with an awful lot of fun but going back into it I said you know there's a risk throughout it you know Donna investigates things you know she's investigating the mansion and go you know checking rooms and so on and she's the one who gets attacked by the wasp so she's the one who encounters the wasp for the first time and so establishes that that's what they're up against 
So that's her part. I love all that scene. In fact, to be perfectly honest, um, that's that's one of the highlights and one of the scenes that's always stuck with me. Um, yeah, in the giant stinger. Yeah. In the door. <laughs> yeah, and they're just going, um, there's a giant wasp. What do you mean a giant wasp? I mean a wasp that's giant. And Agatha goes, don't be silly, it's just a silly little insect. And I love, again, it goes into the line and I love how Donna, um, uh, Catherine Tate plays it. Just going, when I say big, I don't know what is it when I say big. I don't mean giant. I mean flipping enormous. Look at its sting. And you've got the you know the massive sting of the wasp sticking through the door. Um, yeah. I love all that. Um, what was your take on the magnifying glass with a sunbeam? That was fine. A bit too comical, or no? Uh, the, it makes sense. I mean, it's scientific. You know, you, you you're getting the magnifying. I guess, but it worked. It's usually only that effective in cartoons. <laughs> yes, that's true. But I think if you were going to describe the unicorn and the wasp, I think... Um, and I, obviously, I, I mean this in a positive way because I absolutely love the story. Cartoony is probably the way... I mean, not too much. It's not... It's it's not, like, ridiculously outlandish. Although, having said that, though, it is an episode about a giant wasp. And we'll get onto it, but... Why there's a giant wasp murdering people, where and where that comes from is, you know, flipping insane. We'll get onto that. So yeah, I think probably cartoony is probably the right way to describe this episode in, in a lot of respects. I mean, do you think? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, all the all the cliches are there as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's 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 having fun with all those cliches, and so yeah, I haven't got a problem with just going. There's a giant wasp. I've got a giant magnifying glass. <laughs> shine it to the sun and it's not going to like it it make you know it makes sense and it works if this was a um i don't know if this was a story what? with a giant ant in it <laughs> think you know the you know the william hartnell story the web planet yeah um which has these giant insects in it it's quite that's great very ambitious story for the mid 60s to do uh and i uh, I really like that one. In fact, Peter Capaldi loves it. In fact, isn't that one of your favourite uh, Doctor Who stories as well? Yeah, I do like it. I know it's not for everyone. Yeah, um, but I, th- I think that's a great story. But, you know, it's quite dark, that story. Uh, mm. You know, and it has these giant ants in it. And I think for that type of story, if you had a companion threaten one of the giant ants in the way that Donna threatens uh, the wasp in this story, you would go, that is a bit bloody ridiculous. Because it's all about the tone of the story even though it would sort of make sense. But it works in the unicorn and the wasp because of the cartoony element of it, if you like. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Agatha Christie's very much a part of the investigation. In fact, um, she finds a clue, um, which she hides. But I love all that, that the Doctor you know, clocks that. And then the fact that... Um, not not in a uh, not in a horrible way, but in a in a friendly competitive way. Uh, Agatha Christie feels that like she's got one up on the Doctor, and the Doctor says, "What that little piece of uh, paper that you nicked out from the fireplace?" And then she's really impressed that that you know that he spotted that. And so there's mm-hmm. there's respect um, between them. In fact, actually, there's one scene which I think uh, I think is actually quite good and pretend, you know sort of gets lost in 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 everything else that's going on is the bit when they start the investigation. 
and um, you know the Doctor and Donna at this point in the series are quite used to all this, and they they're relish you know they're loving it. And the fact and then Donna goes off to investigate, and then the Doctor is sort of like beaming at Agatha Christie, going, "We're off to investigate a murder. I'm investigating a murder with Agatha Christie," and Agatha Christie brings the Doctor down and going, "Look, I will investigate this with you, but not out of a sense of sport. You seem to be enjoying this far too much." Um, and I just think it's a nice little character moment in the in the story. Do you, mm. I mean, do you remember that scene? Yes, aye. And I think yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good observation in her part. Yeah, 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 very much so. And it's uh, it's one of those things that which now and again in the David Tennant era, because I think that you know, um, this the this fact that he relishes in danger a little bit, um, mm. you know, he does. Um, is uh, I'm trying to think of the word. He is uh, brought down on occasion. Just going, hang on, temper your enthusiasm a little bit. I mean, this is serious stuff. And I think uh, it's it's one nice little moment in in this episode where it just brings it down to a little bit of a serious level, but in a nice way. It's not. It doesn't feel tonally weird. Uh, I think it's handled very deftly, and, and that's quite a nice um, touch. And then going back into the fact that, you know, it's a lot of fun and there's risk throughout, the Doctor gets poisoned. Yes, I do love the whole scene in the kitchen with uh, the cyanide. Yes, and I think, you know, again, that's another highlight of the episode for me. So the Doctor is poisoned with sparkling cyanide and tries to um, detox himself. So our heroes are very much at risk. Um, but going into the tone of the story, he's the Doctor is able to detox himself, but it's through this... This great manic scene, which balances the threat and the comedy, I think, really quite well. Where the doctor's, uh, he needs salt, so, so, the, so Donna quick, quickly grabs something. He's like, "What that? What's that? That's salt. Oh, that's too salty. Oh, that's too, too salty." salty. <laughs> uh, you know, and just, you know, just, just that whole scene and the dialogue. And yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. That's that's another great. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminded me of a scene in Smith and Jones from series three where um the doctor's kind of getting the radiation out of his body and he shakes it into his shoe yes yes you're right it 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 does have that uh yeah you can make that comparison and although i quite like smith and jones um in terms of that comparison i think it's done better here oh yeah yeah <laughs> um and just great in fact because um talking about series three i mean you could say that the unicorn and the wasp you could compare it to the Shakespeare Code from that series. Do, uh, do you remember that story? You could you could compare this to the Sha- the Shakespeare Code. You, you, sort of. I mean, that in that the the Shakespeare Code is a story written by Gareth Roberts. That, oh, right, yes. That that's Gareth Roberts. You know, having fun with the tropes of Shakespeare and um, uh, and all the rest of it, and uh, and that's sort of like a love letter to to Shakespeare and having a lot of fun with it. In much the same way that this, the, the unicorn and the wasp is a love letter to Agatha Christie in many respects. Yeah. Um, um, what's your take on the way there's all these um, great people from literature? So we have uh, William Shakespeare, um, Agatha Christie, Agatha Christie, and um, they seem to have this kind of awareness that the Doctor is something special. But they don't um, necessarily acknowledge it until the adventure's over. Um, 
it's like they've got the wrote with this kind of higher intellect than most people um do you think um that's necessary it's an interesting point i'd never really i'd never really thought about it um i think it's it's almost like they paint these historical figures as um more than simply human you know they they are these um larger than life historical figures um which seems to give them this higher awareness of the doctor mm. i mean these are i mean these are people who are not um they're not politicians they're not kings and queens but they have had a huge cultural impact not just in terms of our own culture being britain um but throughout the world you know there are people who um you know absolutely adore shakespeare globally uh, agatha christie remains the best selling author of all time and mm. her work is enjoyed around the world um and i think it's you know th- there's there's a power and an impact there um which i think deserves respect and i think if you go uh, it's an interesting question, Rob. I haven't. Re- I'm just. I'm kind of thinking on the hoof because I hadn't really considered it in relation to how how they're portrayed in Doctor Who. But I think it's a case of, um, um, these are people who who have had a huge impact in on our language, how we communicate, our imagination, etc., etc. Um, and that deserves respect. And these are people who, as I said, you know, are not, you know, people who are in charge of an army or have power in in um, in the way that we normally associate the word. This is, a, you know, soft power, if if you like. And um, yes, and the 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 um, times in the life in the life that they're portrayed, um, like um, in Vincent and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Just like Agatha Christie, uh, it's a time in the life where they're not sure about their success and they've got self-doubt mm-hmm. as well. So they are painted as uh, being very human as well. Yes, that's true. And I think that, I mean, with the case of Vincent the Doctor, which is a great episode, and as we know, Vincent van Gogh, or Vincent van Gogh... Um... Or Vincent van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> However he is supposed to pronounce right, his name. Which is the right way. Yeah, um... He, uh, you know, he had uh, mental health issues, and that's depicted in there. You know, in the episode, this absolutely, and his tragedies—he's an absolute, and it's it's there in the episode. Um, you know, he was an absolute remarkable artist, uh, which, but his his genius sadly wasn't recognised in his lifetime. No, um, you know, and that you know that's tragic, but we we recognise and enjoy and love his work now mm-hmm. and it, that ties into sort of the unicorn and the wasp thing because uh, story because there's a, there's a moment when um you know donna's talking about agatha christie and going you know she, agatha christie doesn't really realize how much you know how how fondly she will be remembered and yeah. the doctor responds and going well we don't really know that i mean in some respects that's sort of mirroring a little bit of what happens to donna at the end of the series um yeah I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, there's there's that little uh, there's that wonderful thing, but it's it's a line of dialogue which can be um, attributed to pretty much everyone, really. 
Um, mm. We don't know how we're going to be remembered. <laughs> Hopefully fondly. But yeah. um, but yes, it did show that um, these characters do endure and they've got, they've got a legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of Agatha Christie, um, her book was printed quite far in the future. Yes. An insanely um, distant time in the future. Um, I don't want to go too much into Vincent and the Doctor, but since we're kind of making comparisons there, um, there was a scene at the end of that where um, Vincent van Gogh was brought to present day and mm. he got to see his legacy. Yes. Um, and I was really unsure at the time how he was going to react and he was he was overwhelmed with emotion, but I wasn't sure if he was going to maybe freak out. <laughs> um, yeah. But in in this story, um, Agatha Christie only got a little hints of, um, of her potential just through kind of Donna's little um, little slips about <laughs> um, our future works, and she adds all these lines. Like, Copyright Donna Noble, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but I guess all that gets uh, wiped from her memory eventually. Yes, but it uh, sort of it sort of hinted because at because she sort does of, she does, she doesn't remember this episode by the end, does she? No, but but then it's sort of like well, maybe some of it bled through because um, you know, murder on the Orient Express is something that um, Donna mentions, but at the time that the story's set, that that novel hasn't been written yet. No, but um, yeah, maybe it kind of lingered, or maybe that's completely irrelevant because it did come to her naturally, and um, Donna's knowledge came after that. I know. <laughs> My head brain hurts, but yes, yeah, yeah. Um, you can talk, but going back to this aspect of you know, it's a love like love letter to Agatha Christie because there are several scenes within this um story where um we have Agatha Christie doubt herself and her ability, and you know, saying that you know she writes just these silly stories, but we have the doctor and we have the Donna basically go, no, you're brilliant. You don't realise how brilliant you are. And there's a big part of going, not only do you have the wonderful imagination of writing these wonderful mysteries which captivate people and want to work things out and fire the imagination, but a big part of it is what makes it stand out is because of your love, empathy and compassion for other people. And that clearly is showcased in your writing. Um... You know, and if that's not a love letter, love letter to Agatha Christie, I don't know what is. It's, you know, so not only is it, you know, getting a well-established and well-respected and even to this day, you know, well-read author, uh, and having an aspect of her of her life used as a sort of a coat hanger, of to inspire this mad science fiction Doctor Who story, but it's also having fun fun with it but an affection with it and going you know this is the reason why we're doing it because at the end of the day there was this writer called Agatha Christie who wrote these remarkable books uh, and the reason why they're remarkable is you know we're, we're basically putting it in the story of why we in this in this in this case it's Gareth Roberts but I think Russell T Davis also had a hand in not in terms of the writing, uh, perhaps, but certainly in terms of wanting the story made. Um, of going, you know, this is the reason why we love her and why we think her stuff has worth. Uh, and I just think that, that I think that's great. Not only do we have this great fun romp which we can enjoy, but the fact it's just going. There was this writer, Agatha Christie, 
and uh, we enjoy her work. Her work continues to endure, uh, and it's 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 great. It's 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 really quite touching. Yeah. <laughs> but then it, I mean, it's sort of. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a, as I said, it's a fun episode. It gets a bit bloody barking mad at the end, you know, when we start to find out well, what on earth's been going on. So, it turns mm. out that the person who's been committing uh, these murders, because uh, Professor Peach is is killed because he finds out this seek this family secret, so he's bumped off. Um, we later find out that there were murders that took place prior to the story beginning in the church. Uh, and uh, what the the housemaid is has got killed as well, and and as we said, you know there were the murder attempts on Donna and the doctor. Yeah, and the housemaid had plenty of time to get out of the way. She did. I th- I think actually that that's one aspect of the story which I think probably is the is the weakest. Now I put that down to the direction. So what happens is um, the the housemaid works out why she thinks the murders are taking place and goes to tell uh, the lady of the house. Um, because it, it it's linked with her. And then she's running and she's outside and then she's aware that there's this stone gargoyle that's been pushed. And she just stands there going, oh, no, you know, and it's just like, you... It, hang on one. Although she, she may just be in a state of shock because she's staring at the wasp. Yes, there is, yeah, possibly. Um, but that's not... Which would make sense, but that's, to me, in terms of how that scene is shot... That's not how it comes across. She's no, just she's, aware that the she's stone... screaming of a gargoyle ten stories up, and she just waits for it to fall down. <laughs> I'm exaggerating about the height, but yeah, it she had time to move. Yeah, she did, and I, I think that's probably the. I mean, I can forgive it, but yeah, I think that's the one, the one bit of the story where I think it needed a little bit, um, bit of a faster pace of just going out. Was suddenly pushed, and there was no way that she could get out of its way. But watching the episode, you're going. She's standing there for five minutes. What's going on? You know, so, yeah. So I agree with you there. She had plenty of time. But anyway, um, given her extremely slow reactions, um, she dies as well. And it's established that it's the Reverend. <gasps> a shock. Uh, who has been responsible for the murders. And he is an alien who yeah. is able to shift. Uh, sh- Shape shift? That's it. Shift. <laughs> I was going, is it shift By shape? No, shift shape doesn't What? For some reason, uh, my brain metal didn't think of the right phrase. So is able to shape shift, and um, its natural state appears to be a giant wasp. And you're going, yeah. okay. And what it is, uh, um, the lady of the house, many, many, many years ago, was living in India and fell in love with an alien who was a giant wasp and but she didn't care because she loved him yeah yeah exactly and it's just oh that that you know that's quite sweet you know fell in love with him and it, it didn't matter yeah. but the, you know she the, didn't know initially but then he was like look i'm a wasp and she was like that's fine <laughs> that's fine i can dig that and they i mean it doesn't bear thinking about how how would this work but they have carnal relations unfortunately uh he dies in a monsoon and nine months later, she... Well, not, it's not nine months later. A few months later, she discovered that she's pregnant. Um, yes. and, and she isolated for six months. So, th- yeah, like a good murder mystery, there's always clues dotted around here and there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. But we didn't see this coming. No, we didn't see this coming. You went, you gave birth 
to a giant wasp. And you managed to keep that secret. Well, <laughs> congratulations. I think that's quite impressive. Um, but uh, the housemaid was a very close uh, friend and, 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 and she knew this. In fact, she's from India and, and came on came over uh, to live in England. But um, oh yes, and that's sort of that's sort of the story. And then um, there's this Firestone necklace, which um, how would you describe how that's linked to the story? Okay, so um, it's obviously the necklace that the unicorn woman wanted. Um, but it was also um, the wasp who died in India. It was somehow linked to him. And then it awoke some kind of inherent memory in the sun. Mm-hmm. I forget what exactly your question was. but No, I was, I'm just trying to... Because it makes sense in my head having watched this episode. But I'm, I'm trying to put it across in a way that's not doesn't sound convoluted. But anyway, so you've got this... What, what's the purpose of it and what's the connection? Right. To the, to... So uh, one of the things that is sort of like put, uh, been puzzling people, particularly the Doctor, Agatha and uh, and Donna, is just going, well, it's a bit weird because all this seems... To, all the murders taking place seems to have actually come from Agatha Christie's imagination. It's all a bit sort of a bit convenient. Well... Turns out that what it is, as you said, we had this Firestone necklace, uh, which is established that one of the the female guests um, invited at the party at the beginning of the episode is the unicorn, the thief. Um, yes, and we were given a clue because she, um, she said toilet instead of lavatory, and uh, she threw her um, burglar tools out the window. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so we got all that. <laughs> I remember the first time when I've watched this, uh, when it was first broadcast, I remember picking up on the fact that she she uses the <coughs> word toilet and I went, oh, that's a bit weird. I bet she's guilty of something. And no, behold. So anyway, she's yeah. the unicorn. So she's the It thief. caught my attention as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so, <laughs> at least we picked up on How that. a lady speaks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even Donna just goes, if she was a real lady, she would have said Lou. And it was like, yes, she, she, she would have. And being English, we picked up on this. Uh because English uh, culture is riddled with uh, with uh, just class, and there's always these stupid loopholes to, to catch you out. Um, so anyway, she's the unicorn, and she was there to steal this necklace. And this necklace has a, a gemstone in the middle of it. And this gemstone, as you said, Rob, was uh, is biologically linked to the alien. And... Um, the la- uh, the lady of the house, you know, always wore it in memory of her her, her giant wasp lover, who is mm-hmm. no longer with us, and um, she was reading an Agatha Christie novel at a moment of, uh, you know, uh, she was extremely upset but really engrossed in the novel at the same time that the Reverend uh, discovers that his church is being stolen and this, the f- this makes him angry, and then being really angry for the first time unlocks the fact that. Um, he's this alien and all these memories come flooding back and because he's uh, linked to the gemstone because of the biology of it this is something freaking insane um, it, uh, uh, and because the, the so he's linking to the, the this gemstone which at the same time the uh, uh, the lady of the house is reading an Agatha Christie novel so it's connecting mm. to her thoughts and feelings and everything and so that's why that's why the wasp of the story ends up committing all these Agatha Christie type like murders. 
Right, okay, that kind of makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds bloody mad. I mean, again, I kind of love how all this has come out because this this is all established in this great, you know, summing up in the drawing room scene, you know, direct mm. out of Poirot. Mm-hmm. But again, they're having an awful lot of fun with it. And you've got, um, so... The doc- oh, I love this. We've done it. Yeah, so you got Agatha Christie, you know, doing doing some of it, and uh, and then the Doctor sort of like taking over, and each step of the way, just going. So she killed him. Oh, he killed him. It's like no, no, no. <laughs> and then you have these. Uh, Graham Harper directs the scene, brilliant, and all these dramatic shots of the Doctor sort of like pointing his finger, going, "It was you." And even at the point of just going, you know, he even points at Donna, just going, "It was you, Donna." Going, I didn't murder anyone. It's like no, 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 but you said. <laughs> It's a great scene. Again, it's just having fun with all these tropes. It's even just thinking about it, it's just you know putting a big smile on my face. I, I love how all how all it's done, and you know all these little rev- revelations. You're just going even at the bit when I get the Christie goes, it was you looking in one direction and then dramatically turning and they're going you Colonel, <laughs> and the Colonel goes, all oh, right, you've rumbled me because he's been sitting in a wheelchair, uh, supposedly disabled for the whole thing. Uh, and then suddenly stands up and just going, I pretended I was disabled because I thought my beautiful wife, who I'm still in love with, would eventually run away from me and not stay with, you know, a silly little fool like me. Um, and you just... Uh, and you're what's like, your take on that? Because um, is it really romantic or is it terribly selfish? <laughs> it's kind of both, really. But um, it's sort of sweet because he's a sort of bumbling... <laughs> <laughs> lovable character it uh you could you know in another in a, handled another way you've just gone oh that's really twisted and manipulative you arse but in the but in this story because of how it's written and how it's acted it's it just comes across as endearing but yeah. handled another way it could easily be just going <laughs> divorce him he's awful but here i think yeah. it's, it's buzz off <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be resisting not to do that. Oh, please, someone did. Right, okay, yeah, buzz off. Um, and I just love how just Agatha Christie's response got, uh, actually, I was just going to say you were innocent. I had no idea. <laughs> I love that scene as well. It's just it's just fantastic. Love it. Um, and then you get the dramatic scene of the wasp chasing, chasing Agatha Christie, who's pottering along at full speed in a 1920s car which is probably going at i don't know 25 miles per hour um yeah. uh but leading up to the, this big moment uh towards this lake um where everything just sort of like ends up tying up um which is um agatha christie throws the is it agatha no it's donna Yes, Donna grabs it and throws it in. Yeah, the, the necklace, and then the wasp chases after it, and then um, and then and, and then dies for in it a similar way that it uh, its dad did. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and the result of all this is Agatha Christie loses her memory, and that because ah, oh, that's how she lost her memory and went missing for 10, 11 days, whatever it was. Yeah, it's very confusing. <laughs> It makes sense when you're watching it, but trying to put that as, that element of the story into words, you're just going, "Yeah, it's all gone a bit mad at this point, hasn't it?" But it's yeah. it's it's an awful lot of it's an awful lot of fun. yeah. Um, so I do always ask the question of these kind of historicals: Is it necessary to force in a bit of sci-fi and aliens? And could the story have functioned without the wasp? <laughs> um. I think for this sort of thing, if you if you were going to do right, okay, Agatha Christie disappeared in real life for ten, eleven days. 
and we don't know the reason why let's do a drama speculating on that it just really becomes a speculative piece of drama um and if I you suppose gonna... if it wasn't about aliens it wouldn't be doctor who and that's the thing there's nothing wrong with Doctor Who doing a straight historical. In fact, I mean, certainly in the William Hartnell era, I loved the straight historicals, and I would love for the series to to do that again. Um, maybe not. I mean, it, pretty much akin to you know doing something like the Aztecs or whatever. But it could also do something just tell a really, you know, funny enough, Black Orchid. Which sort of has you know set in roughly the same period. I think a couple of years, mm. you know, nineteen in the nineteen twenties. And there's a you know the, there's a murder mystery and there's a man yeah. stuck up in the attic. It's a, it's a bit more sort of gothic in some elements, but it has that thing. And that's that's a straight historical, pretty much. I mean, you could do something like that, and maybe Doctor Who could have done that as a straight historical story with Agatha Christie involved. But if you're going to do, if you're going to focus on the why did she lose her memory and disappear for several days? Um, I think for Doctor Who to to delve into that, it has to have a science fiction element of it. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I um, think it just becomes a bit of you know, bit of daft melodrama. Yeah. Uh, at one point, uh, I remember originally thinking, um, these eleven days could that have been a whole bunch of adventures that she was off traveling. But. That obviously wasn't the case. No, I mean, actually, that's quite a good idea. Because the Doctor Who New Adventures, um, there's, a, there's a bit when uh, the Doctor goes off with, you know, a couple of companions. And, uh, you know, he go, I've forgotten which one it is now. Because it's been a while since I've read them. But in one, you know, his companion's basically a poet. One of them is his companion Sherlock Holmes. A completely fictional character, but he becomes yeah. a com- companion. Um, yes, well, um, in the Doctor Who universe of literature, <laughs> um, we've got the whole time war of the BBC books era. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you refer to the Book of the War um, in the Faction Paradox range, um, I think that does go on to explain how... Um, actually, there is another subsequent book called A Raisin Sherlock, but... Um, Sherlock Holmes was a real character until he was his um, history was altered into fiction oh right okay I didn't know that um, I should go back to the BBC books and maybe read them yeah. Um but yeah maybe maybe it would be quite interesting if we had the, the Doctor become companions with a real historical character yes we have had this in big finish with Mary Shelley mm-hmm. Um which was great it was it was talked about a lot in well now and again in the early couple of years with um, the Eighth Doctor and Charlotte Pollard mm-hmm. and then eventually we got to go back and we had a whole prequel series um, for adventures um, and these are actually chronologically the the earliest um, Paul McGann adventures unless you can shorter <laughs> yeah but but uh, then we had the haunting of Villa Diodati, which was a uh, one of the episodes in the last season of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. completely didn't even mention. There was no reference to Big Finish, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that I think that was probably best, of course, for the um, for the viewers. Mm-hmm. But they could have maybe worked around it in a more respect respectable way. I think. Yeah, I remember you saying that at the time. But going back to 
having the you know the, having the doctor because you know the, having a companion of the doctors who's a, a well-known historical figure again it could be an interesting idea and that idea of maybe agatha christie going on travels with the doctor for a bit is actually you know there's something quite nice about that which i which i like having said that though we then have the problem of um the doctor influencing all these people i don't mind it when it's done now and again like i think uh the classic era of doctor who did this quite well where you know uh he was responsible for giving nero the idea of burning rome or in the visitation he was you know the doctor was responsible for starting the great fire of london but that was only you know sort of done once in a while when you do this all the time um mm. i think i have a bit of a problem when the doctor becomes a bit too influential yes um and this, this I- is just taking me back to the mary shelley stuff if anyone hasn't seen the 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 Frankenstein story in the company of friends, go and check that out because uh, the Doctor was very influential in Frankenstein. Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't <laughs> mind trying those those uh, checking those stories out and seeing how it's done, and I think it's it, it's probably done really well. But there's a part of me which goes, yeah, but I don't like the idea of in this case Mary Shelley saying that. Well, she couldn't, she wasn't influenced by her own imagination and what was going on at the time to. You know, to to eventually write one of the greatest novels of all time, mm-hmm. um, I have a bit of a problem just going. She, I mean, yes, I mean it's sort of saying yeah, but she was able to do that because of her ability as a writer. But this idea of going, but she had to have these very clear um, adventures with the Doctor, which clearly influenced the novel. I have a bit of a, you know, sort of a bit of a problem with of just going. Well, no, that was that hasn't occurred to me before. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's a personal it, gripe. Yeah. I mean, you're probably thinking it's a bit, you know, it, it's a bit much <laughs> when mm. at the end of it, it's just a fun idea and going with it. Um, but I, I, yeah, like everyone needs inspiration. But yeah, when you when you put all inspiration for all this great literature down to the doctor, yeah, mm, yeah, it, it's not quite right. Yeah, no, it, it bothers me a little bit. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, so um, before we firstly go we're going to go to listeners responses uh and then our own conclu- uh, conclusions but before we do that is there anything that you want to mention in relation to this story um no not in particular i didn't write any notes because i just thought i'll give it one watch keep it all in my head mm-hmm. uh, and see what you have to say <laughs> all right okay um that's fine so um so first of all uh one of the things that uh that you did rob was that you put a uh, a poll up on oh yes. on our Twitter feed to I haven't actually checked that. Um, it's all right. I've I've got it all here. So, um, the question was, you know, how would you rate uh, the story, the Unicorn and the Wasp? And uh, the categories that we have are good, average, and bad. And I'm pleased to say that uh, the vast majority of people thought it was good. So it broke down that 19% of people thought it was bad, which is quite a high percentage. But mm. uh, 26% thought it was average, and 56% thought it was good. So uh, had you had you asked me that before I'd give it a rewatch, I probably would have said it was average. Ah, right, okay. Um, in response, but what will I say now? Yeah, I think <laughs> we'll I think I think you've given the game away there. Rob. Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> uh, true, actually. Um, uh, in response to that, uh, our friends at neither the time nor the space podcast said, "Not a bad episode at all, just a bit weird." Um, I think, as as we said, give, certainly given how the the episode ends, it it does get yes. a bit sort of barking mad. So yes. Oh, also, um, 
Matt and David at neither the Time nor Space podcast are doing um, a quiz at the moment and they would like us to come up with a question for them. A Doctor Who question. Oh, right, okay. We'll talk about that after. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll send that over to, to you if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. Um, and then John, uh, who's the host of Doctor Who Versus podcast... Um, and actually, this is one of the things which I was quite surpri- pleasantly surprised at, because uh, in the past, Rob, as, as we know, I've had a tendency to pick uh, certain Doctor Who stories which uh, people don't seem to be particularly interested in. Just going, this is my favourite whatever, and I've had no responses whatsoever. And I thought, well, me picking the Unicorn and the Wasp as my favourite David Tennant story, I didn't think it was going to get any reaction from. And I thought... I thought... Uh, it was like what you said in our previous podcast where you couldn't remember it. I thought that was going to be the response that we were going to largely get. The fact that we got uh, quite a few, you know, a decent number of responses uh, of people remembering it and fondly, it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, my fond memories of Series 4 in particular would probably be like the last three stories and maybe the first. Mm-hmm. The ones in the middle are a bit of a blur. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, John said, one of my favourite uh, season four episodes. It's a, it's a hilarious, clever, super fun story start to finish. The Doctor and Donna are firing in all cylinders and the supporting cast is dynamic. I often fantasise about how much I'd appreciate if I got more than two of the Agatha Christie references. Um, uh, John also told us that he was looking, he was really looking forward to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> kind of put the pressure on a bit. So I hope it hasn't disappointed. I hope I hope you've enjoyed it, Rob. Yeah, I hope it's uh, good. John, sorry. I hope, hope it's a good one, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I would say sort of like just throw yourself into Agatha Christie stuff as much as possible. I, you know, you got the novels, of course, but re- but also enjoy the you know the Poirot series um, with David Suchet as, as Poirot. He's fantastic. The Miss Marple series, but I would say the. Um, Although the ITV one's all right, I much prefer the the one that the BBC did. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, William Hadcroft uh, responded to say, My memories are that it was highly enjoyable. It had Christopher Benjamin in it. There was a nod to a scene from The Robots of Death, and it was written by the sublime Gareth Roberts. Great response, Will. I'm really struggling to, re- what the, to work out what the nod from the, the Robots of Death is. Hmm. Uh, I need to rewatch it then because there's, there's a reference there that's yeah. clearly gone over my head. And the Robots of Death is one of my favourite Doctor Who stories. It's great. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that one out. Yeah. Um, we'll have to ask him. Yeah, we should actually. <laughs> what on earth is the reference? Then he'll tell us and go, oh, of course. So anyway, uh, yeah, need to work out what that one is. Uh, Rob Keeley said one of my favourite modern Doctor Who episodes full of great jokes and in-jokes while telling an enthralling tale too then asks is it the modern city of death? Uh, very different in my mind <laughs> yeah I I see where he's coming I, from with that but in respect is it in respect that it has all this wild humour in there yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Uh, I can kind of see where the comparison would be. I think um, the problem is it's. I, I don't think it. I mean, the City of Death is this hugely popular Doctor Who story, and you know, is always rated very highly. I think in that sense, um, 
the comparison falls down. As much as I'd love, and we all love the Unicorn and the Wasp, I don't think it would ever reach the, the those levels of popularity. But I think perhaps in the tone and certainly the wit and just the sheer enjoyment that everyone has in telling it, then yeah, I can kind of see where the comparison comes from in saying it's the modern city of death. I think it's certainly the sto- the closest story that one could compare to it from the modern era. Hmm. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, Hello, Yonachi, I think I pronounced that right, uh, said, it's already one of my favourite New Who stories and I'm loving every single moment of it. Especially Ten and Donna going fanboy mode over Agatha Christie. Really enjoy it. Um, I think that's a really good summing up, actually. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I think I've caught all the responses. Uh, if not, Rob, you can correct me, but I think this is the last one. Harry George Andrew Mills said, Astonishingly remarkable story. It brings memories to watch the Series 4, which is, which is wonderful. Um, series 4 is a very strong one and it has very good stories in it obviously it's mm. been my, my favourite but yeah uh, uh, the fact that yeah. this was when was this was this 2008 when it was originally yes brought? because the specials were 09 yes that's right yeah yeah and um, the at the end of the, the episode when it, when the, the date stamp came up in 2008 and it was just oh has it really been that long mm. <laughs> <laughs> long time ago yeah yeah it only feels like yesterday i know uh, we did have a response on instagram ah i missed that one okay kirsten totten said one of my favorite episodes it always makes me laugh and i absolutely adore donna in this episode mm-hmm. yeah so it's 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 been uh, it's been great that I finally picked a story that people are interested in. Yeah, and finally got a feel good episode <laughs> for us to watch. <laughs> finally, after all this time, um, and it's it was just great to you know to read all those responses, and I'm so pleased that people enjoy the episode <laughs> as much as I do. But finally, picked a, picked a story that people liked, not going Doctor Who and the Crusade, really. <laughs> Some of the other random obscure ones that I seem to pick, but. But that was all great. So thank you very much, everyone, for for getting uh, for getting in contact. I'll use this uh, opportunity just to remind everyone: uh, uh, you don't have to be prompted. Just get in contact as you know, whenever and wherever. In, uh, Twitter's the the best place. Uh, most people get in contact as we're there. It's our podcast bell, and uh, as a well, it's on Instagram, cloister underscore bell. So, uh, conclusions and score. So Rob, what's your conclusion and how do you score it? Um, like I said before, uh, I remembered it being a typically average story. I didn't remember a thing about it. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a very feel-good episode. Uh, it, it was good. <laughs> I read good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I think I... I'm pretty much repeating, you know, what you've said and what our listeners have said, which I absolutely adore this story. It's just um, tremendously fun, witty, certainly bonkers towards the end. But I love all that. Um, and everyone from, from Gareth Roberts, the writer, to Graham Harper, the director, and everyone appearing in it are having tremendous fun and really just telling um, telling the story in the in the best possible way. And I, yeah, it's a good story. I love it. It's one of my all-time favourites. Mm-hmm. So, um, I hope um, 
you I hope this podcast wasn't a disappointment especially because as I said one of our listeners was saying that they were really looking forward to it so I hope we've lived up to those expectations um so over to you Rob what are we going to be oh. doing for our next podcast well this is the moment of the podcast where I've just panicked and thought what on earth did I pick <laughs> oh okay oh yeah I'm just currently swiping through iPlay I think what did I pick um I don't want to pick one at random. I was a bit torn between two partners because I'm not sure how we're going to tackle those. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a moment. Okay. Let's have a little think. I do remember. Uh, so we have each respectively done a David Tennant episode, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, so on to Matt Smith, and I had chose Vincent and the Doctor. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I look forward to talking about that one. Yes. <laughs> I, I was going to say The Lodger just for a joke. but no. the, the Lodger's good. I mean, it's, yeah. it's got an annoying prick in it, but actually, it's uh, who could I possibly mean? But um, actually, he's 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 actually quite decent in that episode, so I can quite... You know, yeah. I, I like The Lodger. Yeah, maybe we should check that out another time. Another time, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, the Vincent and the Doctor is a good choice. I'm happy with that one. Yes. Um, so hopefully we'll get a few Matt Smith reviews in before the flux begins. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, back over to you, Liam. Yeah, well, uh, as I said before, I hope, uh, hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Um, I'm really tempted to watch The Unicorn and the Wasp again. I love it that much. It's great. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And uh, tune in next week. As, as Rob said, we'll be discussing... Uh, I was going to say The Unicorn and the Wasp again. Um, uh, <laughs> we'll probably will touch upon it. A little bit, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably because we've already made comparisons a little bit to anyway. What we're and we've already next. covered most of Vincent and the Doctor as well. <laughs> I'm just gonna, just gonna be repeating everything back and forward, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, everyone, uh, ha- uh, look after yourselves and uh, tune in for our next podcast when we'll be discussing uh, Vincent and the Doctor. Yeah, see you. Bye. bye. Cloister Bell. Imminent disaster. The Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? 
Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.